0: This week, we are in week two of a series called All the Feels. Most of us deal with all the feels, feelings in our everyday lives. And some of those feelings actually go against the fulfilling promised life that Jesus promised us. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about depression and how depression play, uh, plays a role. Now, some of you may be thinking, this is kind of weird. Why are we having a sermon about depression? Uh, well, did you know that depression affects over 17 and a half million people? It does. In fact, psychologists call it the common cold of mental health. And not that it's not serious, but that it's just so very common. One in ten Americans are affected by depression. One study said that the more money you make, the more likely you are to be susceptible to depression. And that seems kind of counterintuitive. Why the more money you make? Well, if you think about it, the more money you make, the more things you buy, the more things you have to manage. Maybe you start investing, and all of a sudden, you've got all these things around you that you have to manage because of what money did. Whereas if you're broke, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down on either side, but uh, some of the happiest people that I know really don't have a whole lot, but they have enough to get by. You know what I mean? But on the inside, they're just flying. Um, the truth is depression is no respecter of persons. It affects you if, if you have a lot of money. It can affect you if you have very little money. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or what part of the tracks you live on. Uh, even some of the greatest people in history were affected by depression and battled depression. Uh, Winston Churchill, some of you have heard that name before. Uh, he was the prime minister of the UK during World War II. He battled depression. Great man. Abraham Lincoln was known to battle depression. Even some of the, the, the main players that we see in the scriptures, some of the most godly influencers, battle with depression. We see uh, Moses and Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament. Job, many of have, have heard of Job. Great man of God, battled with depression. And even the man that we're going to talk about today in the scriptures named Elijah. He was an Old Testament prophet. They they all battled with depression. And so we see it in the scriptures. We see it throughout history. And a room this size, I know that there are some of us in here who either battle with it or we know somebody close to us who battles with, with depression. And before we get into it, I want to acknowledge a couple of things up front. The first thing I want to acknowledge is that for some of you, I understand that this is a very painful topic. Some of you understand just how close it can be, and you know the heartbreak of, of chronic depression or clinical depression. And if that's where you are, my, my message before we even start to you is, is, is get help. I hope this message is a, is a help for you today, but don't just leave here and, and just take the message and that's it. I, I want you to get help, and don't be embarrassed to get help if you need to see a doctor. Uh, or if you need to see a Christian counselor, we can help connect you uh, with someone like that. But, but just get help. Don't be embarrassed to say that I need help. And the second thing I want to acknowledge is that some of you may not relate uh, to depression as much as other people in the room. And while you may be blessed to be able to avoid this in your life, my, my bet is, is that you probably know somebody uh, or somebody that's really close to you that has. And so my message to you today is, is to learn something, and, and maybe uh, be prepared to give an answer, maybe when you're asked, to be able to help somebody that's going through it. There's a few things I've learned about depression through study, um, and having gone through it a little bit myself years ago, and that is depression can find its root in circumstances in your life, maybe your life is out of balance, uh, but it can also be linked to a, a chemical imbalance. In, in your brain. And I'm not here to argue about where it comes from. I'm not here to, to kind of debate about, you know, how people get to that place. But what I do know is this, there is a God who made your body and his desire is not for you to walk in the confines of depression and not find joy in who he is. Does anybody agree with that? So what does the Bible offer? What does the Bible say about depression? What do you do when all the feels? in your life means feeling depressed. We're gonna talk about it today. Somebody said, are you really gonna talk about depression? And uh, I said, you know, I think it's okay to have depression in your message as long as your message isn't depressing. So that's kind of the rule that I'm going for today. But there there was a guy in the Bible named Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Good, good. He was a prophet, and God told him to do something crazy. He said, I want you to go to this king. This king was wicked. He had a, a wife who was even more wicked than he was. And he says, I'm, I'm going to send a drought on all the land because of what these, uh, this wicked king and queen have been doing. He said, I want you to go tell them that that's what's getting ready to happen. And it was bad. And what the, this is what they did. They actually made this, this statue named Baal, and they worshipped it. And then they got the whole nation to worship Baal as well. And it was pretty bad stuff, what was incorporated into the worship of Baal. They had these pagan rituals. They would would do human sacrifices to this false god. It was really bad. And the whole nation almost was kind of following after this this evil king and queen. And he said, I want, Elijah, I want you to go and tell them that I'm going to shut up the heavens. I'm not going to send any rain. The land is going to go through a serious drought, and it's all your fault. (laughs) Well, needless to say, they didn't like Elijah that much. Uh, it was tension-filled. In fact, things got really bad. And the whole thing came to a head one day uh, when Elijah is on this mountain with 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, let's just, let's just put our gods to the test, okay? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have these sacrifices. And you're going to go first, and I'm going to go second. And we're going we're to put the meat up there, and, and we're going to pray to our God. But this is, we're not going to light it. We're actually going to pray to God to do it for us. And whichever God comes through, that's the true God. Sound fun? Yeah, 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah over here all by himself. And so they said, you know, you you can go first, prophets of Baal. So they did. And they begin in the morning, and they begin praying out loud to to Baal to please light our fire. And they begin worshiping Baal. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing happened. They keep going all the way till lunchtime, till noon. And they're still doing it. Nothing is happening. And at this point, Elijah starts to have some fun. He starts taunting them. He said, well, maybe, maybe Baal's traveling. <laughs> you know, maybe he's out to lunch. Maybe he's taking a nap, you know. Maybe you should do it louder. And so he just starts taunting them. And so they do it louder. And all the way until evening, they begin to get frantic. I mean, they are going crazy. Then they start cutting themselves, which was another crazy ritual they did. Um, nothing happened. How embarrassing that must have been, not just to the prophets of Baal, but to this king and queen who swore that Baal was God. But then it's Elijah's turn, and this is what he says. Before, before I pray, he said, I want you to do this. I want you to dig a trench around my altar. He said, then I want you to take 12 barrels of water and dump it over the top of it. So, and so they did, and all this water comes just it, it soaks the, the meat, it soaks the wood, it soaks the stone altar, it soaks the ground that the altar is on, and it fills up the trench with water. And what Elijah was saying is, when, when, what, when, when this happens, when what's getting ready to happen happens, I don't want there to be any mistake about what happened here. There was, there's no accidental spark. Everything is soaked. And so he begins to pray, and we, his prayer is actually recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to read it, verse 36 through 38. He prays, Lord, You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. It says, prove that you are the God of Israel and that I'm your servant. So these people that you've commanded me to do all these things. Lord, answer my prayer so these people will know that you're God. And then verse 38, God responds. Then fire from the Lord came down and burned the sacrifice. Not just the sacrifice. It burns the wood, it burns the stones, the ground around the altar, and dried up every bit of water that was in the ditch. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And so he had this great victory. It, it, was, it was nuts. It was crazy. All these witnesses were around, and he's, he, he's seeing God come through in this miraculous way. And not too long after this, the queen, the evil queen, she finds out about what happens, and she puts a bounty on his head, and she's like, you know what, we're going to kill you. And, and so he, he, begins, he begins running. But it's amazing where we find Elijah not too long after this great victory on this mountaintop. Uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, in some of your Bibles, it's in the same column. I mean, it's not that long after. It says, then Elijah walks for a whole day into the desert. He sat down under a bush and asked to die. <laughs> he said, Lord, I've had enough. Let me, let me die. How, how did he go from this great victory and being on top of the world to all of a sudden being so depressed that death was the only viable option for him. Needless to say, he was depressed, wasn't he? He got to this place where he dug a hole, got in it, and then wanted to sink further. You ever been there? You know anybody that's been there? There's two reasons why we can very easily sink into depression. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a few reasons under this first one. We, we fail to watch for the warning signs. That's the first thing. We fail to watch for the warning signs. There, there's several warning signs. Exhaustion is one of them. And in our lives, we, we begin to have calendar dates in our calendar, and we have all these activities, and we have all these things that we have to do. And people notice that we don't look the same because we're so busy. You, you ever got down to the end of the week, and you're like, where did the week go? And you feel war slam out? And people start to look at you after a while, this being prolonged, uh, something that happens in your life. And and all we can say is, well, I'm just really tired lately. But we don't see the danger of this until we're finally at the breaking point. And then depression is a reality. Exhaustion, another uh, warning sign that, that we fail to see sometimes is after the high lows. Have you ever heard of postpartum depression? After this great miracle of an event, Sometimes depression follows. Elijah was certainly on the mountaintop. And then all of a sudden, immediately after that, he was in a very low place in life. Uh, In fact, it's not unusual for gold medal winners to be very depressed after they win a gold medal. And uh, psychologists, they actually call it post-adrenaline depression. Another warning sign is loneliness. When depression starts to sneak in, being alone seems like the natural thing to do. It seems like the only thing we want to do. We just just want to be by ourselves. We don't want to go anywhere. We want to stay shut in. We want to close the blinds. But it's actually the very worst thing that you can do is seclude yourself when you're depressed. In chapter 19, verse 10, Elijah says, I'm the only prophet that's left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He goes into this desert to be alone. Did you know that loneliness is the most depressing feeling in the world? you might could say, well, there's other things that are more depressing. Well, th- there are other circumstances that you go through that are hard, but it's even worse when you have to face those circumstances alone. Loneliness is, is one of the, 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 the deadliest things when it comes to depression. A friend of mine tragically got divorced several years ago, and he, he was a wealthy guy. He was an executive at a Fortune 500 company. He had just built this huge house. He had everything he wanted, and you know what he, you know what he said to me? He said, "I'm surrounded by great things." He said, "I've got this this great big house, but all I hear is silence." He said, "Do you even know what that's like?" He said, "I would trade every bit of it not to be alone." Loneliness feeds depression. Loneliness enhances depression. But we go there so naturally, we fail to see the warning signs. Sometimes, is one of the reasons why we sink in. Another reason why we can sink deeper in depression is because uh, we forget God's blessings. We forget the things that he's done for us, and so all we focus on is the bad things that are around us, and we forget the fact that God has come through before and that he will again. Have you ever seen a trust fall? Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say trust fall? It's it's whenever you you get backwards and you cross your arms like this, and you close your eyes, and then you, you just fall backwards freely, and someone's supposed to be back there that you trust to catch you. You ever try that? It's terrifying. Don't do it. (laughs) It's terrifying. I don't care if it's your mama back there. I don't care if it's grandma who would die for you. When you have to trust somebody with everything like that, you start to question mama's intentions. You just do. You you want to know why? It's because people in our lives, no matter how close they are to us, they fail us at times. And so when it comes time to trust somebody with everything, we, we stop thinking about all the good they've done, and we only think about the possibility of failure. It's fear-driven, but it's true. But did you know that God never fails? God has never failed, ever. If we look through the scriptures, he's never failed. If you look through your own life, you probably would understand. He has actually never failed you. But when it comes time to trust God with everything and remember his blessings, we can easily put him in the same category as we do the people that have failed us. And we start to ask these crazy questions and these anxious questions. And, and we say, God, what if this or, or what if that or, or what happens if this and that? And all we have to do is look back and see what God's done and say, you know what? He's actually never failed. He's never failed. Maybe we need to take, take root in him and fall backwards just into his grace. Just take a free fall and let go and say, God, I know, I know that I know because you've never failed that you're not going to fail me now. So when you have those feelings of depression, we just have to remember God's blessings. Sometimes we, we fail to see the warning signs. Sometimes we forget God's blessings. But I want to talk about two ways that we can counteract feelings of depression in our lives. Are these only two ways that we can counteract depression? No, there's, there's gobs more. But if you, if you start here, you're going to be doing yourself some good. The first one is this, way you can counteract depression. Do what you can. Everybody say, I all together, I can. Did you know there's things that you can't do, but there are things that you can do. And you only need to do what you can do and don't do what you can't do. And that seems, that seems very, very vague and very cliche, but it's so true because we, we tend to focus on the things that we can do absolutely nothing about. And those are the things that actually upset us the most. Those are the things that actually keep our heads spinning at night when we can't go to sleep. Those are the things that blow up the situation so much further and bigger in our minds than it actually is. And and typically, we can do absolutely nothing about the things that we're worrying about. You have to only do what you can do. Example, you can't do anything about the way somebody else acts. You can't do anything about what somebody else does. But you know what you can do? You can do something about the way you respond. You, you can do something about that. And so what I suggest, as far as this point goes, is to make two lists. If you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with anxiety or worry, make two lists. And on those two lists, the top part's going to say things I can do and things I can't do. And then you, you just, you know, be honest with yourself. Don't try to analyze it too hard or think too deep about it. But make a list, things I can control, things I can do, and things I can't do. And then take that list of things you can't do and burn it. Just burn it, throw it away, shred it, and only focus on the things that you can do. There's three things that I want to tell you to put on your can do list, okay? And you, there might be other things. These are three. First one is rest. That might sound weird, but you can't do anything about somebody else, but you can do something about you, and you need to rest. You can control when you sleep. Did you know that when you sleep, your body actually resets itself? It actually re energizes and refuels your cells on a molecular level and takes the waste out of your brain. It actually does that when you get good sleep. And there are high serotonin levels that can inhibit sleep. Maybe you need to think about that. And there's low serotonin levels while you're awake that could be a factor in depression. That's that's proven. Uh, There's natural ways to deal with with serotonin. But rest is something that you can do something about, and it is very important. Uh, In verse 5 of chapter 19, We see Elijah took a nap. He said all these things that he was depressed about. And then he says he laid down under a tree and he slept. I think that's important. And I think it's interesting that when he woke up, he actually made some pretty good decisions. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But rest did Elijah some good. And you may be saying, well, I've got kids and I can't control when I sleep. Uh, I'm I'm not here to tell you what to do with your kids, but I had a a pastor friend tell me one time, he said, listen, either you're going to rule your house or your kids are, and if they're going to do it, then go ahead and put their name on the mailbox and take yours off. (laughs) It kind of made sense to me. I have four kids. So I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm I'm telling you, plan to rest. There was a guy several years ago who went to the doctor because he was having these feelings of depression, and he was sinking and couldn't stop, and he had six kids, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not maybe a little overwhelmed, Uh, but the doctor, he asked him, he said, what's your, what's your sleep schedule like, and as they started talking, they realized that it wasn't consistent, there there wasn't any consistent sleep in his life, and his doctor said, this is what I want you to do, he said, we're not going to start medication or anything like that yet, he said, but I want to try this first, he said, I want you to go home every day at 8 p.m., and I want you to put your pajamas on, whether you're tired or not, that seems strange, doesn't it, some people would just love to do that, you know, but he said, you can do that. You can't do all the other things in life. In fact, other people can handle some of the other responsibilities you have. And some of them, you, you, you can't even worry. You can't even do the things that you're worried about. He says, but you can go, go home and every night at 8 p.m., put on your pajamas, whether you're tired or not. And he said, and by 9 o'clock, I want you to be in bed. He said, and I want you to refocus your family in that time to where they can be ready for bed, too. He got better. It's amazing how God designed our bodies for sleep to reset us, refuel us, and make us better. Sleep did him some good. Maybe you need to start there. Another thing that you can put on your can-do list besides rest is connect with God. Connect with God. You can't do anything about somebody else's relationship with God, but you can do something about yours. And you know what? You're the only one who can do something about your relationship with God. It's hard as it is to believe, I'm being facetious, as nice as it would be, there's not a, a team of people somewhere in the corner of the world right now planning your next steps for spiritual growth. Wouldn't that be cool if there was? They just email you and you look at it and you start, but they're not. Guess what? God wants a relationship with you, not you and your mama, or you and your wife, or you and your husband. First and foremost, he wants a relationship with you, and you're the only person that can do something about that, it can go on your can-do list. I can do something about this. Connect with God. And when we see Elijah connect with God while he's in the desert and he's feeling depressed, this is what it says in verse 10 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It says, he answered, he starts talking to God, Lord God, all-powerful, I have always served you as well as I could. And he starts, starts praying, God, the people of Israel, they've broken their agreement with you. They've destroyed your altars. They've, they've killed your prophets with the swords. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, fine, he's complaining, but you know what? He's bringing his issues to God. And maybe all you have to bring to God is just some deep-seated hurt. Maybe it's some complaining, I don't know. But guess what? Elijah didn't go to anything else. He didn't go to a bottle. He didn't go to another relationship. He didn't try to fill that void and hurt with anything else. He He didn't just stay there and just sulk. He went to God and said, this is my issue, and if I have any type of issue, whether it seems good or seems bad, I'm just gonna bring it in front of you. And guess what? God wants you to do the same thing. He wants you. And if you're sinking into a depression or maybe you're there or maybe you know somebody who is, the best thing that you can do and it can go on your can-do list is bring it to God. Connect with him. And then at some point, you can put, go ahead and put it on your, on your can-do list, is you got to get back in the game. God, he's not meaning for you to sit there forever. After connecting to God, eventually it was time for Elijah to get back to it. It was eventually time for him to get up and do something. And in verse 19 and 21, we see what he did. It says, so Elijah left. Everybody say he left. He got back in the game, and he found this man named Elisha. Sounds awful lot like Elijah, but it's not. Uh, This guy's plowing a field with a team of oxen, and Elijah comes up to him, and he takes off his coat, and he puts it on Elisha. This is pretty interesting. But what he was saying is, I'm, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be with me. And Elisha followed Elijah, and he became his helper. And if, if you read the story, we see Elijah getting back into the ministry, getting back to what God has called him to do. And this time he has a helper who's eventually going to go and do great things for God as well, miraculous things. One of the best exercises that you can do if you're feeling depressed is to get up and do something. Get moving. I don't care if it's fold a load of laundry. And if if you've ever been depressed, you you can understand that a load of laundry may as well seem like a mountain that has to be moved and you just can't do it. I get it. And that sounds funny because sometimes laundry just is that period, (laughs) if you're depressed or not. Sometimes your laundry is a physical mountain in your house that you have to move. But it could be anything. And if you're feeling depressed and you just feel like, I just can't get up, get up and do it. Make yourself do it. Do you know that when you get up and do something and you make yourself do something, physiologically there's actually a chemical in your brain that boosts your mood when you get things done? There is. It's proven. And so you, 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 and you may say, you know what, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I can even get to the point where I can start. You can. And you're the only one that can. And, and maybe you're at that place where it's, it's time to get moving. There's a time to sit still in your healing, but there's also a time to get up and move, and God will let you know when that is, and for some of you, you, it's time to get up, and it's time to start doing the thing that God has called you to do, because his calling never changes, whether we get depressed or not, his calling for our lives never, ever changes. it's still the same, and at some point, we, we need to get up and move, we need to start serving, we need to start doing something for God, and, and we say, I, I don't know how, I'm, I can't even lead myself, how much more or less can I lead somebody else, I don't, I don't have what it takes right now. How is it? I need someone to help me. How am I going to help somebody? And all I can tell you is only in God's mercy and his strength and in his power, he will take a willing heart and he will be able to do so much more with that than somebody that has this great ability but no desire to serve him. It's his power and it's his strength and it's his ability. And when you say it's time for me to get up, God, and go, he will make it, he'll make a way, he'll give you the ability to do it. So do only what you can do, do what you can, and focus on God's promises is the last second one. Focus on God's promises. The Bible's full of God's promises. It is. Here's a few I want to just kind of talk to you about, and you can write them down, the the Scripture verses, and I I would say try to memorize them. If you're going through a depression, or you know somebody who is, or... Just have these in your brain banks because guess what? We go through hard times in life and it's good to understand these things. In Psalm 34, verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. It's not just a feel-good verse. This is the truth. He's close. Romans 8, 26 says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. Somebody needs to hear this today because when we don't even know what we should pray, we don't even know how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us in our distress with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And I don't know if you've ever been to the place where you have that, that aching in your heart and all you can feel is heaviness and pain, and you're, you, you're kneeling before God. You're standing there maybe. You, you're looking, and you, you, you just don't know what to say. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody in the room. But that is the moment with your heart aimed at him that the Holy Spirit begins to speak on your behalf. it's not necessarily in English or whatever, whatever language that you happen to speak. It's a heavenly language, and the Bible promises right here. God says it. He'll speak on your behalf in a way that's powerful and moving to the heart of God. I don't know where you are. You may be at the lowest of lows today. I want you to know God cares about you. He'll speak on your behalf. He hears your heart when your words can't even formulate. And this is the scripture that says it. Some of you need to hear it. Some of you need to write it down. You need to memorize it. And when you're down there in the lowest of lows and and you can't formulate the words, you can know in your heart that God is speaking for you right then. He hears you. He hears your heart. In verse 28 and 29 of that same chapter, God says this. He says, "We, we, we know that he causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and who are called according to his purpose to become like his son. That to me is one of the most beautiful passages ever. And it can also be one of the most heart-wrenching ones because we look around at our circumstances and we say, God, how in the world are you using this that I'm feeling right now for my good? Remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, there's no way on earth that's possible. (laughs) Like, how is this for my good? They're like, you'll know one day. And this is what God is saying to us, not that he's disciplining us or that he's punishing us. The Bible says he hasn't come to condemn us, but to actually save us. And the things in this sin-cursed world that we have to go through, sometimes these things its not even our fault. God can take and, and weave them in such a way that when, when it's all said and done, we can look back and say, God, if I hadn't have gone through that, I would have never been where I am today. That's, that's the scripture coming to life. He takes all things and weaves them and works them together for our good, those that love him and are called by him according to his purposes. Here's that last part I love, to become like his son. God isn't allowing you to go through this so you can just see how hard it is and he's testing you somehow. He's doing it because he wants to transform you into the very image of his son in character and integrity so that you'll be better for, for yourself, that you'll be better for the people around you that you love the most, that you'll be better as you walk in the promise that God has for you. Because to fulfill God's promise and to be used by God, sometimes He has to change us. He has to weed things out of our lives that can't exist in the place that He wants to take us in blessing and in these great, great places of, of ministry and influence in other people's lives. And sometimes the only way to kind of shape us that way is to go through some very difficult times. I don't know if you've ever gone through a difficult time in your life, and I'd be willing to say, yeah, we all have. And a lot of us in the room can look back and say, I don't ever want to go through that again, but if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have met this person or I wouldn't have been where I am today. I wouldn't have this characteristic that I have today. God is working all things for your good. Maybe you want to start holding on to some of those promises today. Maybe your first step is just to say, God, I need you in my life. Maybe you've been far away from him, but today you just want to say, God, I, I want to invite you to lead me. I want to invite you to, to be a part of my life like I've never had you be a part before. God, I want you to be closer to me than you ever have before. If that's you today, we're, we're going to pray in a second. The prayer team's going to come forward and maybe you just want some help praying. It's the most non-judgmental group of people I've ever met here at the bridge. And Ms. Bobby ends here, if you want to, have some prayer. You're more than welcome to do that. Can we just stand together? We're going to pray. And after I pray, I, I want to talk to you just for a minute or two. But let's let's just pray together. Lord, I, depression is, is hard. Lord, feelings of of lowliness, they're, they're difficult. Father, they hurt. They're sometimes uncontrollable. Father, we, we don't even... We can't even get better if we wanted to in and of ourselves. We can't figure out the best way to do it because there is no way. And we begin to realize that we need something bigger than ourselves. And, Lord, if there's people in the room that are affected by this in any way, I, I just pray that the word that has been spoken today, Father, will register with their hearts and their spirits, not just their head knowledge, not just with their feelings. Lord, but way down deep inside of them. So if, if, even if the circumstances don't even change when they walk out the door, they've got a new vision, a new perspective that they can see, that they can look to you, they can hold on to these promises, they can, they can even start doing some of these very practical things, like getting rest and being in control of that, like only doing what they can do. Recognizing the things that are coming, re- recognizing the, the pitfalls, the traps. God, but more so than that, God, we would just invite you into the midst of our issues and problems and stop blaming you. and, and God, we can be angry. Father, but I, I just pray that there would be a very, a very genuine transparency that we just begin to pour our, our issues and our problems at your feet. I think sometimes we, we get to the point where we think that we, we can't do that. Like we have to be, in a word, holy before we can come to you. And sometimes we forget that you are the one that makes us holy, not because we are holy. I just pray there'd just be some permission in our own hearts that we can just come before you and just dump our issues and our problems at at your feet. Talk to you very freely. Talk to you very openly, knowing that you're the God who made us, not the God that lords it over us. You made us, you love us. As the song said, we're your sons, we're your daughters. You long for us to come to you. And so more so than anything else, I pray we start with that. Lord, for those in the room that have never given their lives to you, maybe they're, they've been far away from you and, 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 and there are some in the room right now that just want to make that decision. God, I, I want you to be in control of my life. I want you to draw closer to me and me to you. And if that's you in the room right now, that's that feeling you're feeling, that's not Pastor Ryan, that's God. That's, that is the Holy Spirit. That is the God of the universe who made you. My hope is that you'll say yes to him today. And I just want to say a a quick prayer. Not going to prolong it, but if if that's you today, I I wonder if you would just agree with me. Again, God hears your heart, not necessarily your words. So just agree with me in your heart as I pray. God, I I don't want to do life without you. I even may be a a pretty good person, but God, I need you in my life because I'm not good enough and I can never be perfect. I believe that you really came to be perfect for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the grave for me. I could never do that, but you did it. And so I want to walk in your perfection every day in the sacrifice that you made for me. I'm not perfect, God, but I I do want to aim my heart at you every day and just trust you to fill in the gaps in my life. And as I walk with you, God, strengthen me and empower me. Show me the way I should walk. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.